Topics that concern your life, your community, and your safety. This is 5-0-Info on Arizona's news station, KTAR News, 92.3 FM. Here's what you need to know. Hello and welcome to the Phoenix 5-0-Info show. I'm your host, Lieutenant Vince Lewis with the Phoenix Police Public Affairs Bureau. Once again, coming to you from downtown Phoenix at police headquarters. And today, I'm still with the co-host, uh, PIO Sergeant Robert Scherer. Just the two of us today, boss. Yeah, we're flying so well. Yeah. Adieu yes. right now, as they Adieu. say. I like that. <laughs> hey, um, in, in seriousness, I want to talk about a recently a recent development in a very old case, a cold case. And by cold, I we've termed cold to mean what? What's when does a case go cold? So a case actually goes cold. It's kind of dependent on the investigator. I'll be honest with you. In this case specifically, this meant so much to the original responding case agent that she didn't let this case go until she retired. That's when this case officially went to a cold case. So it's kind of differentiates. Really, it depends on a homicide and how much activities left to do, how many leads there are, and and a time frame after you know a year, year and a half or so after a case is no longer actively being worked. If okay. you will, there's no other leads. All everything's exhausted. Um, that we can do at that current time investigation-wise. So these cases, when they go cold, they don't go in a box on a shelf and get forgotten? No. No, I mean, they're homicides, the pinnacle of, of I don't want to say the pinnacle of crime, but investigation-wise, it's it's that peak element within our investigation bureau. So um, we don't let them go. We always honor those victims. Um, you know, they're they're no longer here. Um, so we have a, a cold case unit that's dedicated to those those cases. And it's it's always a good idea to put fresh eyes on on any of these. Um, start from the beginning. Investigative techniques change, technology changes, all of those those elements go into that cold case unit. Um, and then ultimately, you know, we get to solve quite a few of them actually. So active uh, cases. So when it, when a detect when an investigative unit has takes in active cases, they're stacking up sometimes in the dozens of new cases that appear because we're, we're a large city, top five city in the nation. Right. Um, the the patrol will go out and they'll start the initial work, but oftentimes the patrol is limited in what their resources are and just their time. Right. They'll get the initial information, make sure that we preserve the scene, preserve the evidence that can be collected. But after that. The work gets turned over to somebody who has a little bit more time, a little more expertise investigatively to spend on the cases that can be worked. And those go to the detectives. So beyond that, when a detective's talking talked to everybody that they know of that exists as, as far as a resource or a, a witness or, or victims and what have you, there's no suspect in custody. There's no further developments in this case for right now. That case basically doesn't go dormant. It's just not uh, there's nothing new being developed on that. And when that takes place for a period, roughly about a year, that's what would be determined to be a cold case. Is that correct? Right, right. And and we have cold case homicide. There's a, a element of the Family Investigation Bureau that will have cold case sexual assaults. Um, and it's just those, those elements of we're not going to give up on these cases. Um, and again, technology is a huge element of this. Our cold case homicide unit relies on being trained and being subject matter experts in all these technological advances that that open a lot more doors on these cases um, that weren't open, say, like this one back in 2005, 2006. Okay, so we're, we're talking specifically today about a 2005, 2006 case right. deemed by us, the investigators, as the baby Schuyler case. Right. Um, there was a the remains of a child, an infant, found in a bathroom 
at the airport. Right. Um, it was discovered on a search for a, a missing piece of property, and uh, those searchers found um, the remains, brought it to our attention, launched the investigation. Now, obviously, with the remains, we were able to identify, or we were able to obtain sample DNA for that victim prior to their being interned. But that launched the case into kind of any number of directions. Like, where do you begin with a top five city international airport? So many people coming through on, on a daily basis, not to mention on a holiday where that number gets, you know, exponentially larger. Right. Uh, where does one really begin with that? I'd imagine we look at surveillance. We look we try to figure out, um, you know, w- what flights were coming through, who was on holdover. And, and but I can't imagine the amount of people that could have potentially come into this restroom or had some type of knowledge where I know you can't get into specifics that we can't release, but how do you wrap your head around starting an investigation like this one? I thought about this when, when I first started looking into this case, when we were prepping what we were doing with it, the amount of just people that's terminal four. it's not like it's a small terminal off to the side where a couple hundred people go through. Um, you don't really have time wise when, when, the last time there was interaction with this garbage can where where the uh, newborn was found, the amount of people are, that are there, who they are. I mean, I'm sure you have ticketed people, but it was prior to that TSA checkpoint. I mean, there's the amount of people is a number you can't even truly kind of estimate. Um, and that's kind of where you start, especially back in 05. I mean, obviously, you're reliant, um, as we are now on, on surveillance video, um, you collect as many names as you can. Um, there were some leads that led to, to potential places where this individual was staying at at that time period. Um, you collect names from that source and you just try to cross-reference as best you can. Um, you know, there was extensive work. This, this case mattered, and I said it during the press conference, this case touched people in a way that they're never gonna forget about this case. Um, from the responding patrol officers to the crime scene techs to these homicide investigators that were clearly touched by this case so much that they you know, the group of homicide detectives were the ones that that ended up pulling money and, and buying a headstone for this 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 baby. So um, it clearly touched them. They put a ton of effort into this case from beginning to end. And even when they retired and it went cold, I mean, it shows you something as a detective and even even as as anybody kind of looking at it. There was years of inactivity where this case agent would not let it go. Um, you know, that shows how much it meant to her, you know, from the beginning. Yeah. So baby Skyler was located in Sky Harbor. Uh, at a restroom, deceased, and that launched the investigation. And, uh, and I, I'd imagine they'd start with, uh, you know, pulling the security cameras, talking to the ticket agencies, agents, looking at the gates around there as a starting point. But uh, and the, the initial physical evidence that was collected at the time would have been obviously the DNA from the from the remains of baby Skyler. But over time, uh, the detective never having given up on this case, always following up on those leads doing those new interviews, fast forward 18 years later, the original DNA that we collected has led to an arrest. And you recently gave a press conference um, in combination with the FBI Violent Crimes Task Force to talk about the developments. Now, what can you tell us, uh, kind of recap what you told us from the uh, presser. Yeah, so like we talked about, technology um, goes into this and, and it's the term investigative genetic genealogy. Um, and basically, it's a way to kind of identify through an unknown source DNA, develop leads through their genetics, um, and attempt to identify potentially family family members, which is huge in a case like this, to be able to in turn try to identify the mother. Um, now, this 
is something that generates more leads. That's what's awesome about this. Us as, us as investigators, we want leads to track down. We want pieces to be able to put together for an investigation. That's what we want. That's what we do. Um, and this this kind of uh, cooperation with um, this cooperation with the FBI Violent Crime Task Force allowed us to uh, be able to do that. You know, generate these leads and get things we can track down. Uh, which ultimately led to to identifying the mother in this case. So talking with PIO Sergeant Rob Shearer about the Baby Schuyler case and the recent development, the arrest that was made, suspect identified, located, and being held for extradition and out of state. So the DNA that was originally collected, I don't imagine it's like there's a, a DNA machine that we put DNA into and it spits out mother, father, brother, right. sister, uncle, grandparent. But we do get connections we get people and how they're connected through familial dna right and through that it's it just kind of supports what the investigators are either already know or are figuring out on their own through the 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 you know the work on the ground the the, the footwork that they're putting in right. so dna is is it a is it a magic uh solution is it a crystal ball or how does it work to supplement what the officers are figuring out through uh their own um work that they're putting in with records and interviews and so forth. Yeah. How does DNA supplement what the detectives know? So DNA in and of itself is a huge piece of evidence. This specific um, investigative genetic genealogy never leads to the direct arrest. It's not the pinpoint piece of evidence. Um, in fact, the vast majority of the time, it doesn't necessarily lead to identifying that person that you're looking for. You're looking for that familiar DNA it then in turn gives you leads to narrow down and get to that suspect. It, it is highly successful in developing those leads, but it's a culmination. It's always been a puzzle for investigators, whether it's 2024, 2005, 1985. It's always a puzzle of the culmination of all these bits of pieces of evidence, interviews, stuff that happened the first couple of days in this investigation is directly connected to stuff that happened in 2022, 2023 that led to this arrest. Um, and that's where that big puzzle piece goes together. None more important than the other. It's the culmination of it all. Um, you know, DNA is a huge element in this case, but there's interviews, there's surveillance video, there's, you know, elements from Sky Harbor Airport that day, um, elements from potentially where this person stayed. All of those things come together to specifically identify that person and then ultimately, you know, affect an arrest and hopefully prosecute that person. So let me know if you can answer this, but there was a sketch that was released a sketch of a potential mother of the child right. uh, that we were looking for, the deceased child that was found at Sky, Har at the, uh, Sky Harbor Airport in 2005. We named her baby Skyler. Um, there was a sketch that was provided. Can you tell me about where that sketch came from and what we learned? So that was actually a sketch that was produced by Parabon Labs, and it was actually from the genetic profile of what they believed the mother to be. So it was kind of pulled from that. We don't specifically have... Um, an updated picture of the mother at this point because of certain rules with with Washington, the state of Washington, and and when they release pictures. But um, for comparison's sake, but that's how that generated. It's one of the first ones I've seen. To be honest with you, I've been part of that task force and been in investigations for 15 years, and I've never seen that. Usually, sketches are our artist puts it together. Um, but in this case, what a what a cool tool to have to potentially kind of um, lead investigators to oh geez that 
that has a similar appearance to what genetics say the mother should should look like. Yeah, I've seen it once before. It was used, uh, and we we highlighted that during Missing in Arizona Day. One of the prior prior to COVID, we regularly uh, had recognized Missing in Arizona Day, and one of the cases involved a sketch that was developed through DNA taken from the remains that was found of the unidentified person. So um, that was a, a, a missing persons case. So right. that was the only other time that I've seen it. And I'm sure that there's others. Right. But, what a unique uh, tool, though, to be able to use in these cases where you're trying to identify what someone looks like through genetics. Pretty wild. Yeah, it's crazy. So I don't know if you've done this yet or not, but I've done this. I've looked into my familial uh, DNA through a private company to figure out what my genealogy was. Mm-hmm. And some interesting discoveries, some things that I knew and some things that I didn't know. So... Um, but what what to recap, we've found baby Skylar. We've processed the familial DNA. We created uh, a path to a solution. And from that investigation, we were able to identify and locate mom, mm-hmm. the mother of the child. Right. So she was contacted. She was out of state when she was contacted? Yes, out of okay. state. Yep. So through our investigative means, we figured out where she was, reached out made the interview and then she made an admission during the interview and that led to the arrest. Yeah, there was a portion of portion of that interview that was um, there was some sort of admission, additional work after that, but ultimately it led to the arrest um, late last year in the state of Washington, still waiting on extradition back to the county. Okay, so then once she comes back and um, depending on how things go, hopefully soon we'll have a comparative photo yeah. that we can put up and uh, realize the success of this of the of the sketch how how good they were at predicting yeah how how mom actually looks so interesting well pio rops uh share thank you thank for joining you. me this thank you for this information i believe we can go to the phoenix newsroom to hear a little bit more about this story you go to phoenix.gov newsroom and uh, click on the police tab you'll be able to see the headlines there for the stories and uh i want to thank you for For being my guest. I want to thank uh, the crew here for helping me produce this show. And uh, as always, uh, you can help fight crime in your community by sending tips to Silent Witness. You could potentially earn a cash reward there. Call 480 Witness or visit silentwitness.org. Follow us on social media on all platforms. We're there. We're hiring. Go to phoenix.gov slash police and learn more or go to joinphxpd.com. Until next time, remember, we're all in this together. You've been listening to 5 Info on Arizona's news station, KTAR News 92.3 FM. For more about Silent Witness, go to silentwitness.org. That's silentwitness.org. Or call 480-WITNESS. That's 480-948-6377.